Good morning, Redeemer. So good being with you. I love a church that wants to keep the passing of the peace going. That is phenomenal. I love our church. Uh, before we get going with our text this morning, I want to tell you a little Easter story, one of my favorites, and that is from my second granddaughter, Gray, um, who was two at the time. She started in the week before Easter feasting on Easter candy before breakfast. She had a little stash that she pulled and kept, and she'd get up before anybody else and feast on that, and then she'd go to that drawer before night, before she went to bed. And after about a week after Easter, it was all gone, and she just said to my daughter, Mary friend, Mommy, where has all the Easter candy gone? We need more Easter candy. Well, I can't give you more Easter candy. I wish I could, but I do have more from Luke on Easter, more Easter gospel. He gave us the empty tomb on Easter morning. He gave us this walk to Emmaus on Easter afternoon where people could actually see the risen Christ. And now it's Easter night, and Jesus comes and lets everyone see that he is bodily risen from the dead. They get to see the scars in his hands, in his feet. They get to watch him eat fish. They get to touch him. Jesus is our risen Savior with a risen body, and that gives us gospel hope. Great gospel hope. Let's read this Easter evening story from Luke chapter 24. We'll begin in verse 36. Hear God's word to you. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Father, you raised your Son, our Savior Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Holy Spirit, you were the Spirit that raised him up. Jesus, you died for us. You were in the grave and you rose again. We praise you, O oh God of resurrection. And we particularly praise you this day, Lord, for Jesus, your being bodily raised, for having a resurrection body. Lord, this is our hope. This will be the center of our worship, that you will be our, our light, our sun, our stars. We will need none of those things because of the brightness and the glory of you in new heavens and new earth. We'll be worshiping around your resurrection body. 
But Lord Jesus, also there's hope there for our bodies, for our future, for who we will be in new heavens and new earth. So give us the gospel of bodily resurrection today, O Lord, in great measure, for the first time or in a brand new way. We pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Look, it, it's, it's okay, it's understandable if the bodily resurrection of Jesus is hard for you at times, that, that you struggle with that in certain spaces. Just think about the reality that here on Easter night in this room in which Jesus suddenly appears, uh, they are seeing him, right? They're seeing him with raised body and they are struggling to believe, right? They're startled, they're questioning, they're, they're doubting, they're wondering. Even their joy overwhelms them and gets in the way of their faith of this risen body for the risen Jesus. But I hope you'll leave here today with this wonder. If you don't get anything else today, is, is that around Easter, all through Easter day, afternoon, night, all through these other appearances that Jesus keeps making, what is one central thread in all of this? That Easter is God's gift to his people and God's gift to his world. And that Jesus keeps coming to his people to convince them of the reality of his resurrection. Easter is not a test of your faith. It's not a quiz. It's not something you have to pass. It is God's gift to you. The risen Jesus will keep coming to you to convince you and to fill you with hope about his bodily resurrection. I love what John Updike writes. We put it for you there in the reflections. You can flip back if you want and hear his little poem. This is two of his seven stanzas of Easter. Updike's more famous as a novelist than an essayist, but this poem on Easter is fantastic. He says, make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules renit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh. Ours. Ours. He's bodily raised. Bodily raised. If Jesus isn't bodily raised from the dead, if it just is like as a spirit or the refreshing of springtime, then we're really people without hope. That's what Paul told the Corinthian churches. They were wrestling with this reality of Jesus' bodily resurrection. If this didn't happen, then we're really without hope and without God in the world, and we're the most to be pitied of all peoples. But in fact, he has been raised with a resurrection body, and you will have a body to match, Paul tells them. Now, let's just remind ourselves of our encouragement. How can we know that Christ is raised from the dead bodily? Think about that there was never a body presented in the early days after Easter. There was no box of bones later presented, an ossuary box, right, that could have proved these are of Jesus of Nazareth. It wasn't ever presented because he was raised bodily and then ascended into the heavens. Think of all of the first disciples being martyred for this reality. The fact that they were all willing to go to the death 
for this wonder that Christ is raised from the dead bodily. Think about the massive growth of the early church in 300 years. Literally, the gospel of Jesus risen from the dead takes over the entire Mediterranean world. How does that happen? Unless it really happened. Think about the way the gospel accounts are written. Here we are in Luke. We can match it over with Mark and Matthew and John. They're all different. They're all unique. They all overlay each other in unique ways. They don't have very fine edges. They have things like women being the heroes and giving the accounts and, and the disciples stumbling and bumbling constantly over themselves and struggling to believe. <clears throat> they're written like their truth because they are. It really did happen. And if it really did happen, then it changes everything. Well, you say, well, Paul, maybe all of this is shaped by the way things were later written because people in the first century were gullible. They were looking for things like this. No, they weren't. Nobody in the first century world was looking for this. If you were a Greek or a Roman person, you were looking to escape your body. This wasn't your worldview to have some resurrected body. You were looking to escape your body either through Epicureanism by sort of partying your body away or Stoicism by harnessing your body and keeping your body back, right? Everything was about escaping the body. And if you were a Jew, what were you about? hoping that at the end of time there would be a resurrection, not a resurrection in the middle of time with God himself coming, becoming man, dying in our place, and then rising again to bring in a resurrection world. Nobody was looking for this. And yet this message takes over the whole world. Thousands believe within days and weeks. Millions believe within centuries. It really happened. Now, the question is, how is that our hope? How is particularly the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus our hope? That's what we see from this Easter night story. I want you to think about five applications really quickly with me of how the risen body of Jesus gives us great hope. First, it gives you hope because it proves to you that he cares about your body. In my body. Jesus appears in this upper room. John tells us he passes through the locked doors. Luke just says he suddenly appears to them. He'd been with the two on Emmaus. He vanished out of their sight. And here, when they've made it back to Jerusalem, he suddenly appears in there. He's got a unique body, a different body, right? A body that can pass through locked doors, but it is material. It can be seen. It can be touched. It can eat a piece of broiled fish right? It's material. It's like our bodies, and yet it's different than our bodies. It has a power and a beauty and, and, a, and a hiddenness and a mystery about it that takes time for people to get over and over again. Is this really Jesus? That's what happened with Mary Magdalene, right? That's what's happening with this group up here. They're processing, is this really the risen Lord? Material, and yet almost like it's new material, heavenly material, Paul writes to the Corinthians chapter 15. We use that part of that as our confession of faith today, right? He calls it the first fruits, Jesus' risen body, of a whole new world, of the new creation 
that's begun. First fruits were, were, were the first crops that came for a community. If they were good, if they were luscious, if they were verdant, it gave a community hope that they could be raised up by this crop, that maybe their old poverty could give away to fullness and to blessing, right? And here's this first fruits of the new world. It's actually Jesus' own resurrection body. It can lift us up from any space, particularly spaces about our own bodies as they crumble, as they break to pieces, as they fall apart on us, no matter how much we keep working on them, as they decay. What does this give you, this gospel of Jesus' risen body? It gives you hope that your own bodies matter to God, that, that there's a destiny for your body that's going to be like your old one and yet beautiful and new and made of the heavenly for new heavens and new earth, that you'll have a risen body to match your perfect soul as you see Jesus face to face. It means that you don't have to obsess about this body now. You don't have to try to worship this body now. You get to worship the risen Lord and trust that he'll take your body to beautiful places. You can steward it now, yes. You can use it now to be a part of the Easter world, but he cares about your body. He's going to give you a new body to match your risen soul. That frees you right to, to right now have a good view of your body. It's valuable. It's wonderful. It has an eternal future but I can give it away in service to Jesus, just as he gave his body away in service to us. He cares about my body. Secondly, because he's bodily risen, he cares about the physical world around me. He cares about the created order around me. He cares about my world. Jesus constantly after resurrection, right, is doing things, touching things, letting people touch him. He's, he's concerned about the disciples, even their fishing trip and how it goes a couple of weeks after Easter, John tells us about. He even is concerned about the massive number of fish that they catch after they've gotten skunked all night. He's, he's part of this whole new world that is coming, that has begun with his resurrection, and his body proves that to you. When he can pass through the doors, I love what C.S. Lewis says, it's not because he's a ghost that he can pass through doors, it's because he's actually more solid and thick and dense in this risen body than even the wooden doors are. He says, think about Jesus' risen body like your fist passing through water when you're in a pool or out in a pond swimming. Your hand can just break through and pass through because it's so much more solid and dense and full and real, if you will, than the water itself. That's what Jesus' risen body is. And it tells us that he cares about the whole new world that is coming, about making all things new, about bringing the world of heaven down to earth and fully merging it all together. When Jesus died on the cross, right, famously, the curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place from the rest of the whole temple of God ripped in two from top to bottom. Right, what did that picture? That we could have access to God, yes, that our sins could be fully and finally forgiven, 
by this once-for-all sacrifice as God's great high priest, but it also pictured there's no more divide in God's world with his people. There's no more sacred and secular. There's no more things that are of the holy and things that are not, that it's all God's. And that Jesus dies and rises again to make everything matter. Your hobbies matter. Your gardening matters. Um, the, 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 the way that you interact in every space of your life with music or the arts matter, right? The whole world matters and it can all be lived to the glory of the risen Jesus. I love what Revelation says almost at its very end in some of the very last verses of the Bible, Revelation 21. When Jesus comes back, when he brings heaven down to earth, when there is this whole new reality, the kings of the earth will bring the best of their goods and their treasures into this renewed kingdom. We get to bring the very best of all our engagements in the material world and offer it as a sacrifice of praise to Jesus. And that starts now. He cares about my body. He cares about my world. Thirdly, he cares about my forgiveness. Mm. Jesus says what this was all, all about, right? What all of the scriptures were pointing to is that I had to die. I had to go into the grave and I would rise again to prove that a sacrifice is paid for all of God's people across all of time. That once for all, they are forgiven and welcomed into the Father's presence. That the sacrifice has been paid. And I want you to take that message everywhere you go, but first let it sink down into your own hearts and lives. And how does he prove that to us? With his body, right? With those scars, his side pierced, his hands, his feet with the nails, right? It is in his risen body that these scars are still there. Why? Because they are the most glorious part of his risen body. They are the divine receipt, if you will, of forgiveness fully paid for by his sufferings and death in our place. Um, we had a friend when we lived in Auburn, Alabama, back in the 90s working with Reformed University Fellowship there, and she was Fran's best friend in Auburn. Her name was Jerry, and Jerry had the most exquisite filing system in her home that I've ever seen in my life. I do not have such, by the way, um, and I, I, I lust after hers. It's amazing. Um, you know, now we, she probably has it different all on computerized and all that. But back in that part of time, you, you know, she had every receipt for everything she'd ever purchased in the history of her life, right, in this filing system. So Jerry and her husband get audited by the IRS, and she tells Fran, I am so happy we're getting audited. <laughs> and she was because she couldn't wait for them to come meet and for her to bring out. And so they come to their home, and they ask her about three questions, and she produces, like, duplicate receipts of everything. And they go... Yes, Jerry, I think we're done here. Close the book. She said it lasted about 15 minutes. It was incredible. We're done. We're done here. Um, I don't have that. Maybe you don't have that. I cringe this time of year around. Still got PTSD from tax season, right? Maybe you do too. But the wonder is the one receipt 
that we really don't ever want to lose, we can't lose. Because it is in Jesus' resurrection body, right there for us, kept in the center of God's new heavens and new earth forever. Easter is to convince you, above all else, that Christ has died for your sins and been raised for your justification. He cares about my body. He cares about my world. He cares about my forgiveness. He cares about my sufferings. Those scars in Jesus' renewed body, right, they're not just a proof that forgiveness has been purchased, that it is finished, that it is paid for, although it gloriously is that. It also says that the humiliation of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, all are part of His glory now. And in that risen, perfected body, the record of His sufferings are part of that glory, are woven into that glory, are kept and made wondrously a part of His risen body. And the same will be true for you. Your sufferings, your afflictions, your abandonments, your abuses you've suffered, your loneliness, your despair, your emptiness, the racism you've suffered, it's all, all part of how God will create a weight of glory in you, as Paul says. I don't understand why. I don't understand why some of you suffer from cancer. I don't understand why some of you have had the sufferings that you have. But what I do know is that we'll somehow, in God's unique wisdom and wonder, be woven into the glory of the future. What did Paul tell the Corinthians? These light in momentary afflictions are actually creating in you a weight of glory that will last into eternity. The sufferings are not good in themselves and we should cry out about them and labor to run from them and, and seek to beg God's mercy to take them away. But in the sense we can know beyond even those prayers is that God is at work even there creating future glory in us. And those scars, the ones you can see and the ones you can't, will be part of the future glory for us. And that gives us hope now. That keeps us from just a grinding, white-knuckling existence now. God, I look to you in hope. Meet me in this space, Lord, please now and unto eternity. He cares about my body, about my world, about my forgiveness, about my sufferings, and lastly, about my purpose and my mission. What does Jesus say here? What is he constantly saying after resurrection? I've got something now special for you to do. Wait here until my spirit is poured out. Wait here until I send the promised gift from my Father. But I've got something really significant for you to do. I want you to go and tell about this message of my resurrection and preach forgiveness 
and a call to repentance in my name as you take that message. See, our privilege, every one of us, whatever our jobs are, whatever our family situations are, wherever stage we are, if we're in the fourth quarter of life, more like me, or earlier on in the game, whatever it is, we have the privilege to take resurrection with us. As N.T. Wright says, to plant flags of resurrection wherever we go. As Wendell Berry says, to practice resurrection in every part of our lives with the hope of forgiveness that is ours and a life that wants to live new to Jesus because of the wonders of this bodily resurrection that says, Lord, grant me repentance. Change me, renew me. Even as Jesus has a new body, renew my life. Give me repentance in the wonder of my forgiveness. Um, Friends, dad, he died when she was very young, but one of her favorite memories of him, he loved gardening, and he had this beautiful rose garden there in Birmingham every spring. And, um, and what he would do around Easter is he would tell them, be ready on Easter morning because the Easter bunny has done, will have done something out in the garden. And what he would tell them is, is that each year the Easter bunny had planted seeds in the ground and they would grow up and on Easter morning there would be lollipops planted in the garden out of those seeds. And they'd go out and there were these giant lollipops out there every year. That's one of her favorite memories of her dad. She doesn't have a lot of them. And uh, yeah, Easter Bunny's what he is, right? Just an idea or just a fun little thing. Jesus has planted sure seeds of his resurrection in us. We are his people of Easter. We are his witnesses of these things. We grow the fruit of resurrection in our lives. This is our joy and purpose and mission. And he cares about that. He wants to share his Easter world with all the world through us. And his spirit is with us all the way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the wonder of your bodily resurrection. Lord, may that give us hope in every space. Some of us, we need that hope to wash over our souls for the first time. We need to just come in and and begin believing, Lord, do that work even today with us. For others, we need to come back. We need to be renewed. For others of us, we just need strength to continue in all of this. Lord, wherever we are, meet us this day with the wonder of your resurrection. We pray in your name. Amen.